This is episode number 34 of the Bearded Marketers podcast, the only internet marketing podcast that matters. I am Rob. And I'm Corey. This is an internet marketing podcast. We drop new episodes every Monday, roughly morning, sometimes up at noon. Uh, you can, of course, find them at thebeardedmarketers.com slash podcast, and we are on iTunes as well. There's a couple other podcast directories we're on, so if you're on some other weird platform, I'm sure you can find us. If you're uh, on iTunes, drop a review. Absolutely. Reviews and ratings. We'd love it if you could, guys, could send us some feedback. Also, 904-270-9603. The lines are always open. There's not usually anyone on the other end, but absolutely send us a message, voicemail, or text to that number. With any questions, comments, complaints, and love stories you have about the show, before we get started on the show, we do like to talk about what we're drinking because we do film this at night and we, you know, drink some drinks to get into the mood, you know. Get loose. Exactly. So, Corey, what are you doing tonight? I, because it's winter season, I need to make sure my beard is in full regalia swing. Okay. <laughs> I'm doing Johnny Walker Black Neat. Ah, so for those not familiar, that's what you used to drink in the early episodes. This is true. So we're sort of back that to, or the, Glenfiddich, to the old I, uh, school. Switch between the two. But gotcha. what about you? Uh, I'm going back to my uh, good old Moscow Mule. Oh yeah, always delicious. Absolutely, and- Goslings, ginger beer, and vodka. Come on with it. Exactly. All right. So for topics tonight, we are going to be covering website testing, who tests, and what, content marketing pros and cons, thank you pages. What are some ideas, some concepts, some things to be aware of or things to avoid? And lastly, e-commerce navigation principles. What do you need to take away from this very interesting study that we came across? So Rob, Professor Rob, kick us off website testing. Get my learn on. Yeah, I'm bringing some stats at you. For those of you listening to the show, that's what I love to do. Hit you with studies and stats. So this is fresh off the presses from eConsultancy. Uh, It's a study that looked at sort of a benchmark, I guess you could say, of what people are doing in the industry in terms of testing. Are they actually testing things or are they just talking about it? If they are testing, what are they testing? Landing pages, emails, whatever. Um, So here's some just some basic studies in terms of What percentage of organizations are actually out there testing? And that's only 71% of internet marketing um, companies are even actually testing, which, I mean, I feel like at this point, there are a million tools out there. Sure. There's a lot of free ones. Mm -hmm. Not testing is inexcusable. Get out of the industry. (laughs) That's that's a little... Harsh words, harsh words. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So of those 71% who are actually decided, okay, it's important to actually test and, you know, we can stand to, to gain some things from that. Um, 71% are testing websites, 60% are testing emails, which actually seems pretty high to me because I don't think a lot of companies actually send many emails anyway to start with. So it seems like maybe just the fact that those things are built into email service providers Mm -hmm. is probably a huge reason why. And it's kind of easy to set that kind of stuff up. Right. Um, anyway, let's, and then in paid search advertising, actually, it's fifty percent are testing in paid search what? advertising. Which that's uh, the easiest, right? <laughs> of all of them, of all of them, it's the easiest to just write a new wow. ad. Maybe they don't even understand the concept, though, that that counts as testing. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Is maybe the uh, semantic difference? You know, when people right. think they are testing emails, what does that really mean? Are they actually split testing it, or are they just testing different ideas that they have in their head? I think we need to make this email longer and try to like tell more of a story, but we're not really testing it. We're just more changing up our concept. Right. Just real quickly, I'm going to touch on a couple of things specifically that people are testing on their websites. Number one, first and foremost, call to action buttons. Let's, let's change that button copy from wow. submit to get your free X book. 
And that's what nearly 74% of people are doing. Well, you know, two, I don't like to defend idiocracy too much, but (laughs) two people's defense, I mean, how many studies have we seen where it's 100% lift by you just need to change your red buttons to orange? Right, exactly. I I, I don't want to name names, but... (laughs) Um, and e consultancy, I don't know if they're an offender of this, but Maybe. you know, yeah, you're exactly right. All the case studies, uh, webinars, and all that other stuff that's out there, uh, I'll prefer to call it stuff instead of what I really think it is. <laughs> that the, the sort of proclaiming, show. <laughs> right? That these hundred percent lifts uh, just from changing the copy on a button. Realistically, I've never seen that happen. I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen that happen no. in real life. I run real tests. <laughs> exactly. Whenever we run a test, I i mean, if you just change the button copy, I'd imagine that would run for uh, 90 days and hit the timeout because no <laughs> right. valid results. Nothing happened. Well, yeah. I mean, I might expect a small change if your buttons are unreadable or something of that nature. Yeah. But to me, if, if that is pulling up your site that much, it kind of falls under the same things as... You know, people that run the uh, secure lock test as mm-hmm. well and say we got a 50% gain on whatever. You know, if those are the things that are pulling up your performance that much, I would say take a step back and say, what is wrong with my site that these small things are making that big of a difference? I don't think that those are uh, should be general guidelines. You probably should be testing more meaningful stuff than that. Speaking of the security seals, 12% Woo. test those. <laughs> Uh, all right. So let's, I'm just sort of jumping around all over the place here. Just some interesting little tidbits from here. Uh, the next one is where do you get your ideas for testing? And the top one on that one is 68% get them from deep diving into their analytics, uh, which I would say is probably one of the, I think they're liars. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it didn't say I added the deep diving myself. So maybe it's just a general sort of overview of their analytics programs. Um, 16% way down at consultants. Really? Okay. Yeah. I don't know what that really means, For but that's most interesting. Of the, most of the people that I know that run tests that aren't necessarily uh, deep, deep in the industry, they get their ideas from like benchmarks and webinars, I would say is probably the biggest source. So I, don't, I think a lot of people like to say they got them from analytics, but... Well, that was the second highest. Oh, come on. Uh, right, exactly. And, and the winner today is Corey. <laughs> Um, articles, white papers, that kind of stuff. It's at 55%, you know, which is just speaking to what we were talking about with the the call to action button testing. Uh, finally wrap up this little section with, um, some information on when implementing testing on websites, uh, what is the biggest hurdle, I guess, Hmm. for someone trying to set up a testing environment or running a test and 27% of clients found that setting up the test in and of itself was the hardest part. Which was the highest? Yes. 27% was the highest. Just setting the test up was the hard part. Uh, Yeah, I wonder what that encompasses. So in my experience, I've found that a lot of people struggle with the bridge to IT. Mm -hmm. And like they have a testing idea, but sometimes they struggle with implementing it. And I don't know if that's necessarily sometimes the testing tool complexity versus, you know, I can't get my IT team to help me set up this test and get it live versus I can't figure out these tools to get it like up and going. So it'd be interesting to know a little bit more about that, but that's certainly the biggest hurdle that I've found for most people. Yeah, absolutely. I'd agree with that. I do wonder what they mean in terms of harder. It may just be that that is what takes the longest amount of time mm-hmm. is just simply setting the thing up, planning and all of that stuff can, can happen pretty quickly. I think too, that a lot of people in our industry don't, aren't 
co-skilled with development. Mm -hmm. So they have the maybe ideas, they have the PowerPoint decks or things like that, but they can't necessarily execute themselves. So that becomes a pretty common hurdle. One of the things that makes you know us work really well with clients is, especially for you, your uh, proficiency in coding. And I think that a lot of marketers, if you're interested in getting into testing or really doing any sort of online marketing, getting a basic grasp of HTML and especially like JavaScript and jQuery can really take you a, a far amount, especially when you're getting into the testing tool. Right. Things. I mean, absolutely. I think it sort of points to the cliche, too, of, uh, you know, everyone's an idea man. It, <laughs> right. I mean, idea men are a dime a dozen, but mm-hmm. it's actually the people who actually get things done. Sure. Those are the people that are valuable. And I think that stat sort of helps point to that. Sure. So anyway. So interesting stats on website testing. What group do you fall within? And it's also probably some good competitive experience. Maybe not too many people are actually testing ideas out there. Uh, So if you're out there, if you're blazing a trail, you might have a leg up on your competitors. Moving right along, content marketing. Man, that's a buzzword. A lot of people like to talk about that. It's hot right now. (laughs) They like to talk about their content marketing. In particular, what I wanted to cover tonight is... There was a a good blog post on Top Rank. It's an internet uh, online marketing blog that has some decent articles. And they were talking really about what is the best content marketing delivery tool, we could say, or the best way to go around content marketing. So eMarketer actually performed a study in which they kind of surveyed a lot of the content marketing users on what were the best efforts that returned on investment. So out of the different ways that you can do some content marketing, whether it's sales copy, you know, generate a infographic, man, those are popular, uh, white papers, all those types of things. The number one ranking thing with actually a pretty good distance from most of the competitors was actually interactive media. And what we mean by that are, are elements on your websites or an application in which the user can actually interact with your content and actually see a different experience. So are those things like tools, basically? Like I, tools. I mean, I know that those are like old school, really popular ways to get content out there. But uh, is, does that involve a sort of anything else? No, it's basically around tools. I would also say like interactive, like self-selecting things, maybe even interactive infographics. I haven't really seen those, but I could okay. kind of see that deployed in a way. Gotcha. But taking things like interactive tool to kind of arrive at what kind of user you are. But I do have a particular example. So when we come to interactive content, the obvious pros, one, it's kind of an outstanding way to educate your visitors, especially if you, I think it can really show that you're subject matter experts. Having a, a tool like that exudes professionalism, uh, depending on how you deploy that. Mm-hmm. But you also can receive some pretty instant feedback based on your audience. If you're getting enough traffic, you can also learn a little bit more of your audience, depending on how you're employing this rich media, judging what content they're selecting of themselves can be some really good insights, depending on how you structure that interactive media. But also, I think, and this is a a great one, is a chance to show instead of telling people things. You can create this experience where you show users what you mean or what you're trying to get across or how you're trying to brand your message instead of just telling them in a very bland way. Even sometimes in a more impactful way than some of the more pictorial types of media, like we talked about infographics. Mm -hmm. Having something that I interact with 
can really kind of set the bar quite high. But also, you know, I would say, and this is kind of something that's missing from this blog post, is I find that out of all those realms, maybe infographics being a uh, an outlier, but when we talk about sales copy or white papers or things like that, if you create a great interactive experience that's rewarding, that's engaging, that's fun, I find that that's probably one of the content marketing exercises that get shared the most between people. Because we're so used to reading boring stuff on the internet or just coming across the same stuff rehashed over and over, to find a good engaging tool or something that works really well, I think that you have a really high share rate. Now, infographics obviously kind of fall into a niche of their own because people love retweeting that kind of stuff, even if it's just garbage information. (laughs) But interactive, I think, can really provide a memorable experience, if that makes sense. Yeah, I I see what you're saying. And I think, you know, the benefit there with sort of the tool interactive kind of thing is, is twofold. And one is that I think you're right. So not only may you potentially get more shares in general, but I think that they're probably better shares. If it's a tweet, how many times have we tweeted an infographic? We read it, we think about it for about mm, forty-two milliseconds, right? And then we're on to the next thing. Yeah, you don't even remember who made it or where you got it from or anything like that. So the point of the infographic has sort of been lost, and it's just sort of being passed around because it sort of looks pretty. You know, let's be real here. You know, (laughs) Um, but I think at the other end of the spectrum is that you know, like you said, it's something that's different that not everyone else is doing. So I think infographics are popular. Because it's not a boring blog post. Right. Everyone and their brother has a blog out there now. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, it's actually one of the main reasons why we decided to do a podcast here with the Beard of Marketers. We didn't want to start yet another blog. There's a million out there. Sure. And they're all saying the same thing over mm-hmm. and over and over again. So using something that's unique and different from what everyone else is doing. Yeah, that's a surefire way to get something that's going to spread. Yeah. A perfect example of that we covered probably 10 or 15 podcasts ago is Ikea actually had a really awesome app where they released a new, I think at the time maybe it was a summer catalog Mm -hmm. when we covered this, but they released a augmented reality app and I think Android and iOS. But what this allowed you to do is take your tablet or your phone and leverage the camera in that said device and actually place catalog items directly in the room that you were looking at to see how the new Ikea stuff would look into your home. And it's cool, interactive and cutting edge technology pieces like that, that will really get people not only engaged in your brand, but also sharing that information. Mm -hmm. And it's like a meaningful share, like you said. Now, you know, obviously the con with that is, Developing these interactive media items can be a lot more time intensive. I mean, with the templates out there, I can crank out a new infographic in probably like three hours max. Mm -hmm. But developing up an idea like a taking a personality test on, you know, the best fit for you or this augmented reality app, that's stuff that actually takes a lot of time and effort and, and forethought. So, you know, that's really the big con with... If you're going to go with interactive media, what can really sap up your time and resources? But again, I would challenge more people to not take the easy road of blogs or just infographics because everyone else is doing it. Create something that's like memorable. Mm -hmm. And I think the potential viral spread of that is definitely worth the time and effort. So content marketing, if you're going to do it far and away, the most bang for your buck by many, many marketers has been interactive media. So Think about it. Think about how you could deploy that in a uh, more recent strategy. So thank you, Pages. 
let's turn our attentions there. Now, this is something a little bit more unique for us because usually we're concerned with getting that lead, Excellent. getting that purchase. Yeah. Yep. So once it's done, now what? Well, and that's the problem. Most marketers, oh, you I'm know, done. I, I got I'm your out. money. Peace. That's it. <laughs> you know, you end up on a, a white page that just says, thank you for your order or, you know, check your email for the white book mm-hmm. or the ebook that you decided to download. Uh, we're not going to give you the link here. You got to go check your email. Um, so you see that sort of stuff all the time on the web. It's like marketers put in so much effort to get people in the funnel and convinced to buy, to fill up the form, to whatever it is to take that action. And then you get to the thank you page and that's it. They've given up all, <laughs> they've given up all hope. They don't even care anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's such a lost opportunity. Sure. Um, it's, it, what actually got me started on this was I'm working with a client and we're trying to help develop a better thank you page sort of thing that helps guide people through the process of like what's happening next, right? So you could take this example and like say e-commerce. You know, most e-commerce sites you end up on a page that says, thanks for your order. Your order number is this. Like, please please print this page for your records or something like that, right? I mean, what uh, it definitely would help a customer to say, okay, like, here's what's happening next. One, like we're packaging your order right now and mm-hmm. it should ship within X hours. We'll send you a tracking number as soon as we get it. Like in sure. big, clear font that makes me understand exactly what's happening. Not only does that make me feel better about the purchase, potentially make me want to order again, cuts down on my request to customer service because exactly. I don't know what's mm-hmm. going on. And I don't know, like, it's just an overall much better experience that I'm more willing to tell people about the site. I feel much better about my purchase, all of those things. So not only is it like that, I think that's very important. I think there's another aspect to it, too, and that is that I'm starting to see more and more people trying to integrate social media into thank you pages. And the way I often see it is just thank you for your order tweet out what you just bought, right? Mm. Which I don't know how effective that is. I've never personally done that. I don't know. Have you ever? Absolutely not. <laughs> okay. I mean, I knew the answer. I'm not a very, really uh, I'm definitely not the target demographic for an effort like that. Right. And I think that it probably depends on the company and what they sell. Mm-hmm. I think that can obviously work, but I'm definitely probably not the target demographic. Right. Well, and, and so I think we, you know, we were maybe talking, I think a week ago or something about, uh, a company trying to demand things from someone on a thank you page mm-hmm. without actually using the thank you page to do what what most people expect. For example, give them an order number. So, right. you know, what I'm seeing with a lot of these pages is thank you for your order. Here's no relevant information about your order. <laughs> you know, you know, telling you again what you ordered, how much it sure. was, what kind of shipping you got. Here's your order number. Here's what's happening next. No, here's just the social like button mm-hmm. to share it and tell everyone else about us. It's like so you're already asking for more from them. They just right. gave you money, and now you want them to do more things for you. And for most people that I've watched or done a usability panel on, the thank you page is really critical to them because mm-hmm. you know they've just done this value, this really this monetary exchange of giving you money for a product or giving you information for a product if it's like a lead or they've created an appointment or whatever it might be. And they kind of want to make sure that those details that they just gave over are actually indeed accurate and what they expect to happen is probably going to happen, whether that is the product is going to get delivered to my door, I place the order correctly, or the appointment I just set up is for the time I intended, or the lead that I submitted is actually supposed to be going to my inbox. So people want to make sure that what is anticipated to happen is Mm -hmm. going to in fact happen. And I feel like that a lot of people lose sight of, you know, that's the main goal of the page. And depending on how you're mucking about with that can really 
make your users uneasy or lead to unexpected poor results. So a perfect example of that is one of the companies I work for recently asked me to do a light box test on a order confirmation page. So they wanted to pop up a light box to ask people to vote on something as they arrive on the order confirmation page. And my response to them was, technology-wise, easy peasy. We can do that. But understand that when people have placed an order, they want to make sure that everything is coasting as it intended. That I'm getting my new swag delivered to my door where I can show it off to people. And while we can show an element like a light box on an order confirmation page, understand that a lot of people are a tad nervous when they get to this page and are in a kind of not a frenzy, but they're in kind of a hurry just to make sure that everything that they filled in was accurate and that you received it accurately. And so if we display an element like a light box, number one, understand that most people are probably just going to close out of that immediately to get to the information that they foresee. Number two, if they don't, you might be causing, like you mentioned, some people to kind of panic and call customer service uh, or try to understand that their order went through uh, or their lead. And number three, if you haven't, if you want people to do some secondary actions on a thank you page and you're using something like a light box and there's no other element to get back into it, if people have closed out of it just to make sure that everything went through, now there's no way for them to get back to that action, even mm-hmm. if they were really interested in doing it. Uh, if you don't provide another outlet to get into that involved on a uh, thank you page, once they've confirmed everything, that you might be kind of spelling yourself for a disaster or a low test performance. On yeah, that. I think sort of touching back on a, an e-commerce transaction and making sure that you present people with exactly what they did actually, in fact, order on the thank you page. Because right. looking back on a lot of checkout processes, I mean... The last time I saw what was in my cart was maybe like four pages ago. And by now, I've maybe almost sort of forgot. Like, did I actually get the right size for those Mm -hmm. shoes? Did I get the right color for that shirt? Did I remember to add Mm -hmm. XXX to my cart? Just show that cart again. Just to, you know, make sure that everyone is on the same page. Mm -hmm. This is exactly what I expected to happen. Okay, now I can close out and I'm good. You know, I don't need to worry and make sure to check my email. Hopefully everything went well. One final gripe before we move on to the next topic, and that is that if I do sign up to download your white paper or ebook, give me the download link on the thank you page. <laughs> Don't make me check my email. Come on, quit playing games. <laughs> I wonder if some people do that to ensure that people give legitimate emails. I'm sure that's why cares? they do it. But let's get real here. What's done is done. Right. If, if you're you... going to make me check my email, I'm not going back and filling out my real email. Well, and why don't you just make sure your content's good enough to where even if I gave you a fake one, this is so awesome that I want to do business with you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Another gripe since we're on this is not a gripe, but maybe an idea for some people. You know, we often talk about recently viewed and upsells as it relates to e-commerce, you know, as you kind of progress through product pages or even in a cart suggesting some upsells. You know, the thank you page can also be a great place for you to once you've provided your order details, you know, Also ask people if they'd like to also add something else into their order before it ships out and it won't delay any of the shipping. Like, we noticed you bought this. This is also a popular product. Would you like us to add this into your order Uh, and it'll actually ship out the same time? So I think a lot of people kind of miss out on the 
upsell or cross sell opportunities that might be actually present on a thank you page and maybe something for people to think out that's a maybe a technology challenge for you but I think it is kind of a missed opportunity sometimes so thank you pages think about number one how you could do things better but also number two make sure that you on your thank you pages you're accomplishing the goals that you need to to make sure that you're serving your users best last topic for tonight e-commerce navigation principles so I want everyone that works in the e-commerce space to definitely check out this article. It's by our friends at the Baynard Baymard, Baymard Institute. Uh, they do really good in-depth usability studies, and they have a treasure trove of good articles on their site. They also have some pretty good guides that people should check out. And it's one of the few that I think are worth sending some bones their way or some dollars because uh, they actually put a lot of effort into their studies and it's not as much fluff as <clears throat> people that will remain nameless companies <laughs> that put out benchmark guides uh, but Baymart Institute uh, definitely some quality uh, content coming from those individuals but they guest wrote on Smashing Magazine which is also a pretty uh, a good blog and resource out there for people as well on e-commerce study really guidelines for better navigation and categories and a couple of things that I really wanted to cover because uh, this article as in their typical style is really robust and has a ton of points and in particular they cover some of the navigational pitfalls that a lot of people come into when they're presenting menu options they really go in depth about how you need to maybe organize your products to categories that make sense um, and talking about how you can avoid uh, some of the ambiguity when really at the heart of it trying to minimize user frustration they're coming to your site for something in particular in mind and sometimes users really struggle with identifying where can I go to find something? And they really spend a lot of time on how can you think of better ways to categorize your products or come up with better category names to help users kind of nail down into the products that they need and avoid some frustration. Some good nuggets I pulled from this article that I thought were worth mentioning is in their study, they found a surprising amount of users that, especially ones that frequent sites, that want to check new things in a catalog. So one of the top recommendations that they had for navigation and guidelines is considering having a what's new category or filter, especially on sites that probably deal in tech or merchandise or clothing Fashion, or various yeah. seasonal yeah. things. Having something what's new can really be beneficial to kind of showing people what the what is the new hotness you know i want to be wearing mm -hmm. what no one else mm -hmm. is or i want the latest tech um, so consider that again some of these might take a catalog change but in their research found uh, that enough people were interested in it that there's probably a good use case for it depending on what your industry is another one that i liked of theirs and i think a lot of people miss out on this there is a well-established feature set on products pages to kind of suggest alternate products you know you liked this you might also be interested in this um, but what they also talked about is a good thing that many users actually expect and don't really get very often is supplementary products so i'm looking at a camera on your site and this is also the camera bag that goes with it or the power, you know, the extra battery pack, or whatever it might be. Now, I would challenge them a bit on this, and that 
On product pages, sometimes you're trying to sell someone on a product or a particular thing. And having accessory items, I think, can sometimes be a bit distracting in that you're getting them off the main goal is first having them buy into the camera or whatever it might be. Now let's kind of get them into the supplementary path. But you know who does this kind of actually interesting is Amazon and that they do the bundling, you know. So they kind of take it a step further and not just recommending if you're interested in this camera, you might also be interested in this bag. But here are the common things that people buy together and grouping them automatically for people. Uh, And I think that that's actually probably a more intelligent way to kind of accomplish what they're getting at in this usability study. You know, I really like the way that Amazon does that, but I do have to admit at the same time that for someone who's not familiar with Amazon's website, their product pages can be massive and confusing. I should take a step back and say I'm not necessarily a fan of their presentation, but that feature set I think is maybe a better way to accomplish what they're talking about here. Along those lines, one of the items that they mentioned also in this study is when you create a catalog and you have dependent items or supplementary items, depending on what your store is, whether that is you sell fashion, you sell electronics, or maybe you sell aquariums like our friends at Bulk Reef, Mm -hmm. um, and there's things that go with certain products. Um, Having a well-thought-out compatibility system is something that a lot of stores fail on or one that I can easily filter down on. Like I'm very interested in filters that go with X system or camera bags that go with X camera. And so they said that if you really want to stand apart, you know, they noted in their study that a lot of the panelists commented specifically on, I like using these sites because I know if I'm looking for X, I know that I can also look for some of these other products and I can know if it's compatible or not. And they said that a lot of people find themselves abandoning websites when they're looking for supplementary products because they're not necessarily sure if what I'm looking at is going to actually fit my needs. And the, and the sites haven't really thought out a good compatibility list with their I, items. Yeah, I wonder. I mean, there's sort of two steps to that. One is just simply having the info on your site, sure. right? Just Absolutely. having the fact of like, okay, I mean, simple things like what kind of batteries does it use? What mm-hmm. are the dimensions? Things like that. So that customers can take it upon themselves to sort of find out if sure. it works with whatever else it is. Then there's also that step where you're sort of talking about where it's built in. Like it automatically like shows you like here's bags for this or here's some batteries that right. fit this, that kind of stuff. I mean, that's the next step that – I mean, there's a lot of tech involved with something like that. Sure. Well, just but, manpower and yeah. listing that stuff, getting that information. Mm-hmm. A couple other things as we wrap up. They also recommended that a lot of people – got confused and ended up abandoning e-commerce sites as they were trying to get back to products that they recently viewed. And now I've done a lot of testing with recently viewed and found that a lot of times it can work, but it comes down to your presentation. But I was surprised at how many panelists they were getting to chime in to say that not having a well thought out recently viewed system can cause a lot of frustration as I might be juggling between a couple of products and having an efficient way to get back to some of those products just to make sure if it's something that I want to buy uh, was the difference between them staying or leaving a site. I think that's a really interesting point because I know that whenever I browse e-commerce sites, I've always got about 10 tabs going because sure. I don't rely on that sort of feature on sites. I've got 10 different similar products sort of comparing back and forth. That way I don't lose whatever it was I was comparing this new one to. Right. Um, so that's, that's definitely an interesting thing that 
um, I guess maybe non-savvy users maybe wouldn't be using sure. as a bunch of tabs. So they need that functionality. And then the last thing I, I wanted to mention, because I, I think it's not talked often enough about, but I thought it was a really good point, is if you're going to have product images on your site, and I think this really pertains to a lot of furniture and fashion companies, if you're going to have product images, make sure that there is a way to buy all the products or features that are going to be listed in that image. So they found that a lot of panelists in their study got extremely frustrated because they were looking at a product image and maybe the main product they weren't really interested in, but I love that bracelet or I love that pillow that's in that couch picture. And I know that you sell it, but I can't find a way to actually get into and find that pillow or whatever it might be and actually buy it from you. So that I thought that was a good point that I think I don't actually think about that a lot or I don't see it well done on many sites. So if you're going to be using cross uh, products and some of your images, make sure that there's an easy way for people to hop into that. And, you know, also maybe bundling that is a great opportunity as well. Buy this couch and the pillows that are pictured here. Like someone that does that really well, which I ended up buying a whole outfit with, was Banana Republic. So they had a full-on outfit with their model with all the articles listed that the model's actually wearing, even down to the shoes. I didn't buy the shoes, but I did buy the blazer the sweater and the pants that went along with the model because I liked the entire picture. And mm-hmm. I think that sometimes when we have e-commerce uh, experiences, maybe we need to think about some of the ancillary items that we're presenting because people might want to buy those as well because they like the complete picture. You, you put together something that looks right on point and I want to <laughs> buy all that. So yeah. keep those things in mind. We're going to tweet out the link. There's too much to cover in just one episode. It's really worth your time. If you're in e-commerce, pay attention to that. Or really in any industry, I think there's some good takeaways. But that's going to be it for us. This has been episode number 34. Give us a call, 904-270-9603. Rob waits with his hamburger phone day and night to hear (laughs) your call-ins. Give us any complaints. Uh, Really, actually, don't call in with any complaints. Uh, (laughs) We don't want to hear it. We do not want to hear it. (laughs) If you have any suggestions for topics in the future, give us a ring. Or if there's something you've been struggling with, is your boss yelling at you, you don't really know where to start. Between Rob and I, we have a lot of experience in the industry, and we can either hook you up directly or probably know someone that has some experience in that area to help you on out. But again, this has been episode number 34. We are the Beard Marketers. Rob and Corey, we'll see you next week.